everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 236, I believe. Uh, I was almost going to publish a repeat of the special I did entitled The Secret World of the Gnostics. I've been feeling a little run down, and I was at a party last night till about 2 in the morning. Um, but then I was looking through my messages, and my friend Amanda sent me a message asking me if I was going to discuss the story about blasphemy in Ireland. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and I had no idea what they were talking about. So I Googled it, and it, it turns out that there's a, a story that broke recently regarding Stephen Fry being under police investigation for blasphemy for something he said a while back in an interview. So after I did that Google search, my friend Amanda contacted me again with a link, and we were on the same page. We were both referring to the Stephen Fry story. So here's an article from The Independent, and it's dated today, uh, Sunday the 7th of May 2017, and it's entitled Stephen Fry Under Police Investigation for Blasphemy After Branding God an Utter Maniac faces a 25,000-pound fine if convicted under Ireland's 2009 Defamation Act. I expected it to be some anachronistic law. It's, it's, the law was established in 2009. Uh, but I'll read a bit from the article. Stephen Fry is being investigated by Irish police over blasphemy claims more than two years after his outspoken comments about God on RTE's The Meaning of Life went viral. Mr. Fry described a hypothetical creator as stupid and an utter maniac for designing a world filled with undue suffering. And I actually remember this interview, and I found it very compelling. I love Stephen Fry. If you're not familiar with him, he's a British actor and comedian, uh, an outspoken atheist. He was friends with the uh, late, great Christopher Hitchens, uh, another one of my intellectual heroes. And I even remember them taking part in a debate together where they faced off against a couple of believers or apologists. So I actually found that interview, and I'll cue it up for you so you can hear it. Um, the portion I'm going to play is only about two minutes, I think. Suppose what Oscar believed in as he died, in spite of your protestations, suppose it's all true, mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, that is the Odyssey, I think I... I'll say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in no, on that? but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, if I died and it was, it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it because the Greeks were, they didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent. 
because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, utter maniac, totally selfish, totally... We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. So, you know, atheism is not just about not believing there is a, is not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. That sure is the longest answer to that question that I ever got in this entire series. All right. So I absolutely love that clip. I could listen to it again and again. I think Stephen Fry is so eloquent and he's able to so concisely sum up what he referred to as theodicy, which has to do with trying to reconcile the problem of evil uh, or suffering with the idea of a good God. And I'm pretty much simpatico with uh, Stephen Fry on this. Yes, I agree. There's, uh, like he said, you know, there's a lot of beauty and wonder and joy in the world. But there is also a, a lot of horrible suffering and misery and iniquity that makes it hard to try to justify or rationalize the idea that there's some benign personal creator out there who's behind or in control of all of this. It seems like the best that religious people can do, well, at least Christians, is to basically blame it on us, to say it's the fall in the garden, it's original sin, which to me makes God look even more monstrous. You're going to punish all of humanity, all subsequent generations, for the transgression of two individuals, how is that fair in any shape or form? There's a great debate out there on the subject of theodicy between Bart Ehrman and Dinesh D'Souza. I actually believe I uploaded a portion that I found particularly poignant to the Weekend Out YouTube channel if you want to dig through the archives and look for that. Or, of course, you could just go to YouTube and type in Bart Ehrman, Dinesh D'Souza, and probably find plenty of clips or even the full-length debate itself. I believe, according to Bart Ehrman, the problem of evil was one of the main reasons for his move from Christianity to agnosticism. Uh, I think I've even recently, I, I heard him say that he doesn't even mind the label atheist. He's comfortable calling himself, or being called at least, either an atheist or an agnostic. And uh, another big reason why he moved away from religion was that he couldn't really reconcile his faith, because he started out as a very devout Christian, with everything he discovered through his work, through his study of the Bible and biblical texts. He saw all the contradictions, the interpolations, uh, as he would put it, the, the fact that we're dealing with copies of copies of copies. 
and he really couldn't make it jive. Is it jive or jod <laughs> with his um, with his Christian belief? Which reminds me, one of these days I need to do an episode on Lee Strobel. I just I had heard the name, but I just really started researching him recently. He's this journalist who kind of had the opposite experience of Bart Ehrman. Supposedly he started out as an atheist, but the more he researched the Bible and biblical history and talked to biblical scholars, the more he became convinced of the validity of the New Testament and its claims. And uh, I don't know if he simply refers to himself as a theist or a Christian. He seems pretty darn Christy. Is that an adjective to me? Um, but one thing I'll say is that a lot of the Bible scholars he chose to speak with um, were, in my opinion, pretty biased. Many of them were people who came from places like Moody Bible Institute, which I think um, Bart Ehrman had attended himself, and he, and he often jokes about how the motto is actually, what is it, uh, Moody Bible Institute, where Bible is our middle name. <laughs> so a lot of these quote-unquote biblical scholars, and I, I'm sure they are credentialed biblical scholars, and they know their stuff, but I think many of them have a personal bias in that they are devout believers so they're kind of coming at it with that slant. And it seems like Lee Strobel specifically chose to speak with that kind of scholar. Now, I could be mistaken. Maybe he did talk to more secular scholars as well. I don't know. That's just the impression I get listening to him speak and watching documentaries that he's made or that people have made with him that include interviews with some of these scholars that he himself had sought out. I have to admit, I can't really remember how much of a role the problem of evil may have played in my own move away from religion. I think the main factor for me was just always the lack of evidence. You know, I started out as a kid who was interested in fantasy and mythology and then world history, and the more I studied those things, and also comparative religion, the more the man-made nature of religion became clear to me. Couple that with the seeming lack of evidence for things like miracles, uh, ghosts, and afterlife, and, uh, you know, pretty much here I am. But I did used to think a lot about the problem of evil or of suffering, and, and still do in a way. I'm a big animal lover, and one thing that I could never reconcile with the belief in a just God or of a conscious creator was the food chain, the existence of the food chain, life feeding on life. What was it? Was it in Tennyson's poem? Was it In Memoriam, A-H-H? Uh, -H? He wrote for a, a poet friend. Um, there's that famous quote, nature red in tooth and claw. You know, we've probably all seen nature shows where we see these cute dewy-eyed animals being wrestled to the ground and ripped apart uh, by predators. Um, yeah, I could never really see why a conscious creator 
or at least a conscious creator with a conscience, would set up that system. It makes sense in the context of evolution, of natural selection, where there's no sentient mind guiding the process. No celestial referee to blow the whistle and say, hey, leave that poor gazelle alone. Um, you know, it makes sense that this natural, quote unquote, blind process might unfold in a kind of, um, at least in some respects, a harsh and indifferent way where you'd have this and to kind of employ that hackneyed phrase once again, survival of the fittest. But I can't see why a sentient creator would inflict such suffering on its creations, such nightmare suffering, and then make that the basis for sustenance. Uh, it just, it, it does not make sense. In a way, uh, I, I think maybe that's what Stephen Fry was talking about when he said, you know, if you did have a sentient God, they'd almost have to be maniacal to create nature the way that they had. And it's funny, not funny, haha, how uh, Stephen Fry was giving the example of some kind of parasitic insect that burrowed in the eyes of uh, children, supposedly, because that makes me think of Darwin and the uh, Ichneumonidae, I think it is. Uh, here's that uh, famous quote from Darwin. I own that I cannot see as plainly as others do and as I should wish to do. Evidence of design and beneficence on all sides of us. There seems to me too much misery in the world. I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designedly created the ignominidae with the express intention of their feeding within the living bodies of caterpillars or that a cat should play with mice. And for some reason, a uh, talk of theodicy always makes me think of that hidden hands thing uh, I sometimes bring up. I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell, and he has this idea that I think is very, or had, you know, he's passed, this idea that I think is very seductive and comforting, but I, that I don't really believe in. And you can hear him talk about it in that kind of epic interview series he did with with, uh, I almost said Bill Maher, with uh, Bill Moyers, entitled Joseph Campbell, The Power of Myth. And he talks about how when you're kind of in the zone or following your bliss, how it's almost as if you feel there's these hidden hands guiding you through life. I don't know if it's a some kind of defense mechanism or coping mechanism that's built into our psyches or whatever, but... Even I have felt that, uh, and the example I've used before is maybe you're driving on the highway and you start to hear a disconcerting noise coming from under your car or the feeling that maybe a tire might be starting to go flat or whatever. And it's kind of like fingers crossed. You're just, you don't know exactly what you're talking to, but you're kind of like, please just let me get home safely, you know? And if you get home without your car breaking down or whatever... And maybe you almost feel special in a way, like something guided you or helped you get from point A to point, point B safely. But then you think about it, you know, where were the hidden hands for the person who died on the other side of the highway? Or like Stephen Fry pointed out, children with bone cancer, uh, hundreds or thousands of people wiped out in natural disasters. So it almost seems 
egotistical or solipsistic to, to think that there's some higher power protecting you or guiding you from point A to B while others just aren't so lucky. Every day people lo lose their lives on the road or to disease or to natural disasters. And it doesn't really seem fair that some get shielded by those hidden hands while others don't. And of course, the end of, at the end of the day, I think there are no hidden hands. But I think the belief in hidden hands definitely can be a comforting one. And I can see the appeal of it. And I think there may even be some kind of superstitious thing built into us that makes us feel like there are these hidden hands. But when you look at logically, it, it doesn't really make sense, or at least doesn't seem fair. And uh, who knows, in fairness to Joseph Campbell, maybe he wasn't trying to imply in that interview series with Bill Moyers that providence or some divine agency is actually, you know, guiding you. Maybe he was trying to say that when you're doing something you, lo you love, when you kind of get into the zone, when you get into that right frame of mind and you're following your bliss or following your passion, things seem to go more smoothly for you. And maybe he wasn't trying to suggest that there was anything mysterious or any kind of woo-woo stuff going on, you know, I, I don't know. Or maybe he was on the other hand, because I've heard Joseph Campbell talk about his belief that there was consciousness in plants and things like that. What I really loved about Joseph Campbell is because I'm a big mythology buff, was his passion for the power of symbolism and the power of myths and old stories, etc. Jeez, but anyway, let's get back to that article. It's only been about uh, 15 minutes or so. Asked in 2015 by the program's host, Gay Byrne, what he would, <laughs> I'm childish, would say to God if he arrived at the pearly gates of heaven, the actor and author replied, I'd say, bone cancer and children, what's that about? And of course, we heard him mention that in that clip. The committed atheist added, How dare you, how dare you create a world to which there is such misery that is not our fault. It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him. What kind of God would do that? The God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, an utter maniac, totally selfish. A guardai? what the heck is Gardai, G-A-R-D-A-I spokeswoman, told The Independent, we're not commenting on an ongoing investigation. According to the Irish Independent, the comment were, the comment, singular, were originally reported to police in 2015. Should be the comments were or the comment was. Anyway, the complainant is said to have followed up last year and to have received a phone call from a detective some weeks ago to discuss the case. The paper quoted a source as saying a prosecution was unlikely. 
Under Ireland's 2009 Defamation Act, anyone who publishes or utters blasphemous matter shall be guilty of an offense and liable to, to a fine of up to £25,000. A spokesman for Mr. Fry told the Daily Telegraph, there was nothing for us to say while this is under investigation. Tweeting about the story, the British Humanist Association said, what is the world coming to? Well, I share the outrage of that representative from the British Humanist Association in a way um, saying, you know, or asking what is the world coming to seems kind of odd to me because unfortunately it seems like this type of thing has always been with us. Governments and religious institutions threatening those who would dare to speak out against religion or for rationally questioning the faith claims of religion. So even though this is nothing new, I mean, once again, that really does surprise me that that blasphemy uh, defamation act only dates back to 2009. Uh, I mean, that is troubling. And punishing or threatening people for blasphemy, this is something we'd expect from some sour-faced mullah and not from a Western European nation like Ireland. I don't know what the heck the thinking was behind including this anti-blasphemy aspect in this defamation act was. I mean, it, it's insane. I guess at least, you know, they, they say in the article that they don't foresee any prosecution actually taking place. But still, to me, this anti-blasphemy clause or component of this act. I mean, that shouldn't even exist. People should be free to use their brains, speak their minds, to question religion, uh, to question uh, or to offer their thoughts on the nature of existence, you know, and not be bullied by this anti-blasphemy stuff. I mean, who are you trying to protect? Are you trying to protect God's feelings uh, <laughs> or the feelings of his followers? Uh, if his followers, I would say to them, grow up, you know, you should be encouraging freedom of expression and intellectual discourse and debate, even or especially when it comes to weighty matters like existence, uh, the faith claims of certain belief systems, etc. And if it's God they're trying to protect I don't think you're going to hurt his feelings because most likely uh, he probably doesn't exist. And if he does, I think the creator of the universe can, or at least should be, able to take a little criticism. Uh, if he can't, then like Stephen Fry would say, kind of, you know, paraphrasing him, what the heck kind of God is he? Uh, but with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. Uh, thanks, everyone. Special thanks again to my friend Amanda for alerting me to the story today. Uh, you guys know the drill, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, if you are checking out the YouTube channel, please like uh, the video you happen to be watching and subscribe. I think little things like that help grow the popularity of the channel. If you want to help the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash doubt and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want. Once in a while, I throw some bonus content up there. It's been a while, so uh, I'm trying to think what to add. Um, I have been spending a lot of time thinking about that, 
And now that I've kind of mentioned it on the air, uh, that's just further impetus to actually bring you guys something soon. So far, I've released a couple of little audio docs and uh, a couple of audiobook versions of some Lovecraft short stories narrated by yours truly. So I'll, I'll come up with something uh, new soon. But uh, okay, uh, until next week, everyone.